Well, hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm one of the pastors at Life Church and your host for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And always want to remind you that if you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, that's always a good thing to do so that you can get regular updates and notifications when a new podcast has become available. Most of the time we do uh, our sermons from the weekends, uh, but every once in a while we do some other content. We've we've talked with our youth director, Roger, and uh, just talked about the state of youth ministry at, uh, from different times. Uh, we're also going to be including some other content eventually about worship, um, talk to our worship leader, and then also about discipleship, which is what we call life journey. So be uh, looking ahead to that. And then I also want to invite you, if you would like to give and uh, just contribute and invest in the work that we get to be a part of here at Life Church, we would love for you to partner with us in that way. Uh, you can find out more information about how your giving actually makes an impact by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash give. Uh, today, you're going to be hearing a sermon from me again. Uh, we are in a series on the book of Galatians, or the letter to the Galatian church. And um, and so this is just a continuation of that. So we hope you enjoy the sermon. Have a great day. Good to sing with you. You may be seated. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you are new here, or maybe you've been coming here for just a couple of weeks, we would love for you to get connected. If you're watching online, we want to say hello to you as well. You can get connected by clicking on any of the links that are available in the comments section, and then we're going to help you take your next steps as well. For those of you in the room, if you've never visited our welcome desk before you have left, uh, please do that today, and our volunteers would love to help you get a Connect card filled out. Uh, But also, uh, we want to help you just get plugged in. We believe that you belong, and so uh, that's what we're about here. We are in a series called Galatians, where we're looking at this letter or this book, a letter written to the Galatian church 2,000 years ago by a man named Paul. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but first, I wanted to share just a little bit with you about me. If you don't know me, or maybe you've heard from me a little bit, you might not remember that I love Motown. Love Motown music. Uh, I grew up on it. Uh, that might seem a little odd as a skinny white little kid in Northwest Iowa in a farming community. That's what my that's what my parents listened to. I got this for Christmas. I got this like 1980s alarm clock radio. Um, they only made two at the time, so you probably had the exact same one. General Electric had this fake wood grain on it, right? And so I'd fall asleep listening to Aretha Franklin and and uh, Marvin Gaye and The Temptations and all those. And one of my favorite groups to listen to. Um, Um, was called the Primettes. How many of you know the Primettes? Not a lot of hands going up. You might actually know them. You just don't know that they used to go by that name. It was the Supremes. You know the Supremes? A little bit more familiar. Okay, so the Primettes, they started out as this quartet. Phenomenal group. And, uh, but they didn't actually hit it big until they uh, changed their name to the Supremes and became a trio and signed under the Motown label in 1962. And they really, really took off. It's in 1967, though, that they made a massive change in their record sales, all because they changed their name again. Diana Ross and the Supremes, and then they majorly took off. Now, clearly, Diana Ross was uh, a cut above the rest, and so only three years later, 1970, she goes off and has this uh, incredible, successful solo career. Now, I recognize I've probably lost half the room right now, Uh, maybe even most of the people online as well. So let me tell you that the same the same journey happened with another group that's a little bit more modern. It's a group called Girls' Time. Maybe you're confused. Destiny's Child it used to be called Girls' Time. They were a quartet, became a trio, 
changed their name to Destiny's Child, and then guess what? There was one of them that was pretty good. She was okay. Uh, her name is Beyonce, and she took off and had a successful solo career. I think she's doing okay. I don't think she needs a care package from Life Church anytime soon. Same trajectory. Why does any of this matter, and what in the world does it have to do with Galatians? Well, you're going to read about this in Galatians chapter 3. No, I'm kidding. Um, I think of modern scenarios and illustrations to help me connect to the scriptures, to, to help me try to figure out, like, what, what's going on? How do I understand the context of this particular situation? And what do the Supremes and, and Destiny's Child and Diana Ross and Beyonce, what do they all have to do with it? Well, here, we're at a point in this letter to the Galatians where Paul is having to establish his credibility with his audience. He's having to convince them that his message is the message that they should follow. Now, the only problem is Paul's not part of the original group. Okay, you get, you get the metaphor. He's, he's not part of the original band. He has a solo successful, uh, a successful solo career, but he's kind of done it on his own. He hasn't ever been part of the original group. Now, who he's going up against is the original band. They've got the greatest hits. They've got access to all of that. They've got the license to the greatest hits. And what he, who's he, who he's going up against is the Judaizers. They're the ones that have infiltrated this church and have begun to manipulate this church and to tell them that they have to follow a different way than the way that Paul taught them about. And that different way we talked about last week is circumcision. It's this, this law that they had to follow in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, Jewish people. This is their tradition for years and years and years. And the Judaizers are saying, no, you, you have to do this. And there's some debate that actually it wasn't just circumcision, but it was other components of the law that they were saying, you have to do these things in order to earn your place in the family of God. You have to earn it. You have to deserve it, unlike the song that we just sang. And Paul is having to fight against this message, but also he's having to establish his credibility. It, it, Paul coming in and telling them about the message of, of God's grace and mercy, it would be like me uh, if, if Destiny's Child rebooted and then I became the lead singer. You're not going to want to listen to that, okay? I can, I can put a, a couple notes together, but it, I'm, not, I'm no Beyonce, okay? Uh, and you probably could tell that just looking at me. I, I'm not going to make the group sound any better. And so you're not going to want to listen to those songs, right? The, the similar thing is happening is Paul doesn't have the street cred here. He, he's, he's not part of the original group that was established back in Jerusalem, back with the apostles, the guys that were closest to Jesus. Now, there's some debate about who exactly were the Judaizers. Some people believe it was people right there in Galatia. They were, they were part of the infiltration of that group. Some people believe that it, it may have been some of the people who actually got to interact with Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis, regular basis. They hung out with him during his three years of ministry. Plus, they have the Old Testament. They, they have the book. They have all of the stuff. So, so absolutely, they're a convincing bunch of people, and Paul's up against that. He's a bit of an underdog. And so um, he's trying to compete for this. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why does Paul have to fight for his credibility? Well, here's the thing. The message that Paul has versus the message of the Judaizers is a potentially major, major threat to the church. This could upend the whole thing. This is a very big deal. A lot is at stake in terms of the mission of Jesus and what Jesus actually did when he came on this earth and when he died and when he resurrected. 
This is a very big deal. Now, we might look at something like, oh, circumcision or the, you know, following some of the laws of the Old Testament. That just seems like a speed bump in the road. No, this is a massive brick wall on an interstate that they're about to hit, hit up against. And so Paul absolutely has to uh, get his, his words in. One uh, pastor says this, that uh, you will go in the direction of the five most dominant voices in your life. That that's the direction that you are going to go. And Paul is jockeying to be one of those voices. One theologian calls this issue uh, subtra- or addition by subtraction or subtraction by addition, depending on how you want to look at it. What he's saying is that they're adding to the law, and it's not actually adding in such a way that it's a positive thing. In their addition of legalism and law and burden is actually subtracting from the sufficiency of Christ. It is a major threat. Ever since Tuesday, I've had these words going around in my head. Perhaps you've read these as as well. It's culpable negligence whereby a person or group creates an unreasonable risk and consciously takes chances of causing death or great bodily harm. This is what's happening. This is what's at stake. And this is why Paul has to establish his credibility to get his message across. The Galatians, they don't see this as a threat yet. They don't see why this is a dangerous thing. So they're beginning to read this letter and decide, well, who are we going to believe? Who do we believe? Judaizers are convincing in their own right. They're part of the original band. They've got the greatest hits. Paul's off on his own. I don't know who we believe. And so if you're a Galatian Christian, you're trying to figure out which direction to go, you want to know who's more credible. I want to ask you a question before we go any further. How do you identify if a source is credible or not? How do you identify? What, what's your criteria for identifying, oh, that's, a, that's a, a credible source, that's trustworthy, that's believable, I can go with them. I mean, specifically as it relates to journalism right now in our day and age, right? Like, news is traveling super fast, faster than it's ever traveled, but not only that, not just news, but misinformed news. Misinformation travels at a rate 10 times faster, I think is the last I checked. It might be more than that by now, but 10 times faster than actual facts, factual news. But here's the thing, the strength in numbers. So the more we get that news, whether it's true or not, the more we see it, we just assume, well, if that's the prevalent message, then it must be true, regardless if it's dangerous or not, regardless if it's fake or misinformed or not. How do we identify if a source is credible? I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit, but here's Paul's message to them. In chapter 1, verse 11 to 24, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace, and then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And when this happened, I didn't rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at the time was James, the Lord's brother. 
I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that, after that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still, the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Let's talk about this a bit, because this, is, um, this could be potentially a section that we might read, so when we're going and reading our Bible, these are the kinds of verses that don't necessarily show up on a coffee cup and sell in bookstores, right? Like, his traveling journey is like, why is this unnecessary? Why do I have to know all of these places? And so we could quite easily just pass this by and what's actually going on here. So that's what I want to talk about. There's a little bit of context here that we need to unpack. First of all, the, the first part is important to, to pay attention to. I want you to understand that this is, a, this is a debate between human reasoning and revelation. Reasoning and revelation. So first of all, human reasoning. What he's trying to say is, I didn't just make this up, guys. I'm not, I'm not just coming up with this message of grace and mercy on my own. And the reason he's having to say this is because it's quite possible that the Galatian Christians believed that he made this up. I mean, he's, he's on his solo career. He's not part of the original band with the greatest hits. He kind of came along with this message of grace and mercy, and, and they don't necessarily see that in the Hebrew Bible, or at least the Judaizers certainly aren't bringing the grace and mercy of Jesus into the story of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. They're not reading the Bible, the Old Testament, through the lens of Jesus, more specifically through the lenses of grace and mercy and God's love. They're reading it through the lens of legalism and burden and law. But, but it's there, it's, it's written down, and these guys were probably with Jesus, so they're super convincing. So, Paul, we're beginning to wonder, did you just make this up? That we don't have to follow the law? That, that seems a little odd. Because in that day and age, there, there was absolutely belief in the divine world, but in most cases, it was the, the sense that you had to earn your salvation. You had to earn your place with the gods. So Paul's message is a little bit radical. It's a little bit off. But he says, no, I didn't come to you with human reasoning. I came to you with the revelation that came directly from Jesus. Now, some of us might grimace a little bit when we hear that. Like this idea, you got a message from God? Okay. We're, as a little bit more modern thinkers, maybe we're a little bit skeptical when people talk like that. Especially if you're not, you don't consider yourself a Christian, you're newer to the faith. Uh, when people say, well, God told me, fill in the blank. You might be like, wait, what? How? Did you, did you hear a voice? Like, how did God tell you? What did he actually say? And we get a little bit skeptical. I, as a pastor, get skeptical when people do this because I've seen way too many pastors abuse this, actually. There's a pastor down in Louisiana a couple years ago who said, hey, church, you got to give me $75 billion to get a brand new jet because, I mean, we got to get the gospel to other places in the world. And I, I can't be flying in coach. So let's get the money together and buy a jet. And they did. They went for it. Because you can manipulate people by just simply saying, well, God told me. How do you know when God told somebody something or when God revealed himself to somebody in a unique way? It could begin to be a little bit skeptical. I just read a story this last week. This couple who was about to get married, uh, they were going to go on this, um, this big estate in southern Florida, beautiful area south of Miami. And they go in this, this just like mansion, this huge lot, and they go on it. The only problem was is they didn't have permission to do so. Uh, and so the owner of the property comes out and he's like, no, you can't have a wedding here with like 50 people. Go, get off my land, you know. So he's calling the cops and the people 
say to him, God told us we have to get married. This is God's message. God called us to do this. So you wonder why people who don't consider themselves to be Christians are skeptical when Christians do stuff like this, right? God told me. Now here's the thing. We might look at this, some of us, maybe not, but some of us might look at this and be like, wait, you're appealing to revelation of Jesus? That's what you're going to use, Paul, to try to convince them? Now, here's the thing that we need to understand about the context of where they're coming from, is this is totally normal for the Galatian Christians. It is totally normal for them to understand the world, to see the world through a more spiritual lens. They're very, very comfortable with understanding the world in terms of spiritual forces at work, spiritual powers, demonic powers even. They, they're comfortable with this. So, in effect... Paul saying, I got a direct revelation from Jesus might have actually been quite convincing to them to help them understand, oh, maybe Paul is a credible source. So they hear about the revelation of Jesus, but then, you know, Paul kind of goes on to talk about sort of his backgrounds, you know? I was like, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions and my ancestors. It, that would be like you saying, um, I, I'm probably the smartest kid in my class. Nah, not probably. I am. I'm the, I'm the smartest kid in my class. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just have to make it known. It, it, it kind of feels like Paul is being cocky here. Like, hey, I graduated summa cum laude. No big deal. Whatever. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. He's not actually drawing attention to himself. What he's trying to do is to say, hey, look at all of my accomplishments. Look at who I was. Look at who I have been. And all of that's changed. All of that is different. What he's, what he's beginning to do is draw your attention not on Paul, but more on Christ. Saying, you, you want to talk about the Jewishness and, and the original hits and the, the original band. We, we can go there, but here's the thing. None of that matters except for Christ. So now he's beginning to talk about himself in relation to Christ. When I ask the question, how do we identify when a source is credible or not? I want you to consider some of these questions. Who does this benefit? Who does this benefit? Is this going to benefit Paul? Is Paul getting a profit off of this to, to bring this message of grace and mercy, even if they did made it up? Even if he did make up this message of, hey, guess what? You're saved by grace and mercy through Jesus. Guess what? That doesn't bring any kind of profit to Paul. It's not building himself up in any way. In fact, if anything, it, regard, it, it, it uh, demands that they put more reliance and dependence on Jesus than on Paul. Whereas the Judaizers' message, bringing a message of, hey, no, there's the rules that you have to follow. That's how you earn your place into the family of God. For them, like this is gonna put this is gonna put them in a place of control. This this allows them to kind of be in the driver's seat of the church. This is gonna benefit them as well. So you gotta ask a question when it comes to identifying a credible source or not, who does this benefit? Secondly, where do they draw attention? Is it more on themselves? More on the rules? Is it more on going back to the greatest hits that they have access to? Or is it on something else? In this case, for Paul, is it on Christ? He's drawing their attention back to Christ. 
Third question we have to ask is, are they making demands that create more dependency on you and the work that you do and the burden that's placed on you and the things that you can and cannot do? Is it more dependency on you or more dependency on God? And then lastly, how do you identify a credible source? Are they, is what they're saying moving God's kingdom forward? Or is it going backwards? Is moving toward the grace and mercy and love and the hope that's found in Jesus, is that moving the kingdom of God forward? Or is going back to legalism, going back to, well, I've got to follow these 613 laws in order to be established in the family of God. Is that moving the kingdom forward? And if you don't know the answer to that question, this is super important why we continually remind us as a community that we absolutely have to be dedicated to studying the scriptures, otherwise we're not going to know. And more specifically, I would say we need to study it in community with humility. Because oftentimes, I've met a whole lot of Christians who will just go off, they'll read their Bible, they'll identify a particular verse that speaks to them in a, spe- in a specific way, they'll interpret it in their own context, and then they'll bring it back to the group, and somehow that verse makes them look better, makes them profit in some way. Because we can do this with ancient documents. We can make Scripture bend to our will. We can make it sound good and, and sound like it, it actually meets with what we believe already than actually challenging us to something different. We have to read, we have to study, but we also have to be in community with humility to come across something, to read something, to, to realize like, maybe what I think this says isn't really what it says. And so we get around other people who also have dedicated time and energy to studying it and have the humility to say, I could be wrong here. How I'm understanding the scripture might not be the right way. Do we have the humility to, to recognize that, but also the willingness to enter in community as we study together? That's going to come out a little bit more as we go throughout the rest of this passage. Verse 13 to 14 Paul goes on and on about how he's, he's kind of the greatest Jew. He's graduated summa cum laude, right? Like he's, he's there. He gets it. He was chosen. He was called. But here's the thing. What he does is he points to how intensely passionate he was about the Jewish faith, how he was willing to destroy the movement of Jesus, destroy the church, and even was a willing participant in murdering the early founders of the church. That was his story. And yet God took him away from that. This is drawing your attention to the power of the transformative work of God in Jesus, more than it's talking about Paul. Paul is zealous. He's excited about the traditions of the Jews, so much so that he's willing to kill others who oppose it. So the fact that God would literally knock him off his horse and say, actually, I'm going to call you out of that and I'm going to have you minister to the people that you utterly despise, the Gentiles. If you're really zealous in your Jewish faith, if you're really about the traditions, then you would recognize that the Gentiles are to be apart from you. They're unclean. They're the outsiders. They don't belong So for God to take a person that believes that way and say, actually, those are the very people that you're going to minister to, this is a testament not to how great Paul is, but to how transforming and powerful God is. 
to be able to get a guy like Paul to minister to the Gentiles. His story. He's telling the ugliness of his story, but so that he can point to the beauty of God entering his story. I want to ask you a question. What is your story of transformation? Because regardless of what it is, that story matters. That story matters. This is why Paul is telling his story. He's not just filling space, filling paper with writing just some random stuff. No, he's actually telling his story to point to the powering, the, the, the transforming power of God. What is your story of transformation? Do you have a story of transformation? Next week when you come for New Life Sunday, we baptize people, but also you get to hear their story. And some of those stories are going to be stories of like a crockpot kind of faith. Like they've kind of always known God. They grew up in the church and just slowly over time, little by little, God just continued to reveal himself to them in powerful ways. And then there's other stories where they have like hit rock bottom, whether it's temptation, addiction, lust, greed, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden had this radical change where they met God in a unique way. And God brought them in with his love and his grace and his mercy. You're going to hear all different kinds of stories. There's a story of transformation that God is a part of in your life, and your story matters. This is why Paul tells his story. It's a point to the power of God. Verse 15 to 16, he goes, God chose me and called me by his grace. Chose me and called me. Now that might sound like abstract language. Again, kind of in the same vein of like when people say, well, God told me to do X, Y, or Z, or God told me that you should fill in the blank, right? God chose me and called me. It can feel and sound a little bit arrogant. Like who is Paul that he just gets to say that? But I want you to think about it this way, and I want you to read it with a slightly different tone, that not God chose me, but God chose me. God chose me. I'm totally unworthy totally undeserving of this, totally undeserving of God's grace and mercy, and yet God chose me. He, he speaks to the power of God, continuing to talk about God's transformative work within him. He's not trying to be cop, cocky here. And again, how do we identify if a source is credible or not? Who does this benefit? Where do they draw their attention to? Are they making demands that create more dependency on you or on God? How is what they're saying moving God's kingdom forward? All he can do, all Paul wants to do, is continue to talk about the power of God. Now, as we continue on in verses 16 to 24, he is chosen, yes. He is called, yes. But he is also conformed or matured. He is being conformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, I kind of want to single out people in the room and those watching online. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, you, we, we are chosen and called by God. There's a purpose in our lives to do something with that, to tell others about Christ, to, to reflect the love and the grace and the mercy of God that we have received onto our communities and into our world. But here's the thing, in order to do that, we also need to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. It's not like we're just chosen and called and then we just go and decide to do whatever we want to do. No, we actually have to continue to learn and grow in our understanding of who Jesus actually is in order that we might properly and effectively imitate Jesus. We have to look like Jesus in our chosenness and in our calling. 
Paul shares his story. Now, again, I, I mentioned this might be a section of Scripture where we just kind of glance over, like he's just naming a bunch of random locations in the Middle East, and maybe this isn't all that important, but there's actually more going on here. Here's the thing. Paul meets Jesus at about 34 AD, right? After the death and resurrection of Jesus. He didn't get to have this physical interaction with Jesus when Jesus was part of his mission. Paul at the time was still very much a, a, a Pharisee. He was a, a Jewish scholar. He was an expert. But now he's met Jesus in about 34 AD. It's not until 13 years later that Paul really begins to start his ministry. 13 years. All of what we read in verses 16 to 24, in that little chunk there, that's 13 years of traveling around, growing, learning, maturing. In other words, being conformed into the likeness of Christ. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Let me talk about this for just a second. He goes away into Arabia by himself. Now, what is he doing in that time? I don't really know, but I have a, I have a sense that I understand what he might be doing. See, Paul is a Jew of Jews. He is an expert at the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the text that they would have had. They didn't have the New Testament yet. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. So he's not reading that. He gets the Torah. He gets the Old Testament. He understands the laws. My guess is what he is doing now that he has met Jesus in a revelation, in a vision, is he is going back and relearning all of the scriptures through a different lens, through the lens of Christ. Here's why I think that. There's this moment in Luke where Jesus has just been resurrected and he's met these two travelers on a road and they are sad because they, they believed in Jesus, but then he was crucified. They don't know, yet know that he was resurrected. And so they are just, they are absolutely devastated. They think all hope is lost. They think it's just back to business as usual. And yet Jesus meets them on the street. And then he has a meal with them. And when he has a meal with them, their eyes are open and they're like, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He's resurrected. He's alive. But then what he does is he goes through the scriptures. What scriptures? Not the New Testament. He takes them through the Hebrew Bible concerning himself. Hey, what you read about in Jeremiah? Yeah, you see that little part? That's about me. See that little, that, that story in Exodus? Yeah, guess what? That liberation, that's pointing to what I've done for you. That, that part's about me. Jesus is taking them through the scriptures and saying, I'm going to give you new glasses, new lenses, and I want you to see this in a whole new way. And their eyes are opened, and they are overcome with joy to the fact that they run back to the city where there's all kinds of chaos and danger, where they could probably lose their lives, but they cannot help it. They have to go back and tell everybody what they just experienced. I imagine Paul is having this experience as he's traveled into Arabia to relearn all of what he has learned, all of what he has memorized, all of what he has studied, but now with just slightly different lenses. You've probably seen some of these videos that people post on Facebook where like a little infant baby is given glasses for the very first time and their eyes just go like huge, right? Like it's the coolest thing to watch because they realize their whole world has changed. I think Paul's whole world is changed and it's going to take him some time to relearn what he thought he knew about God now through the lens of Jesus. 
But also, he goes to Jerusalem. It's like the Motown of the Middle East, right? <laughs> like if you want to go to the, to the spot where the greatest hits came, you've got to go to the source. He goes to Jerusalem. Not only that, but he goes to Peter, the original band member. And he meets with Peter for like 15 days. Could you imagine the conversation that they might have had? Peter, who spent the most time with Jesus, at least that we have record of, interacting with Jesus on a daily basis, learning from Jesus. Could you imagine Paul just being like, tell me more, Peter. Like, so, so then what did he do when he did that? Well, how did he say that? What, what did he mean when he said that? Just continuing to learn and grow and understand Jesus through humility. Paul was the greatest. He was, the great, he was an expert in the law. He was an expert in the Hebrew Bible. And yet now he's learning from Peter. Some outcasts, some washout that didn't make it in rabbi school, but got to spend time with Jesus. He's hooking up with Peter. He's learning more and more about Jesus. Peter and Paul have this incredible interaction. Then he gets to meet James as well. What Paul is doing in this section is to say, hey, guess what? I'm chosen, I am called, but I have taken time to grow and to learn and to understand who God is in Christ. That's where my credibility comes from. Because my source is not myself. My source is Christ. That's why I'm credible. Yes, he's chosen and called, but he's also being conformed to look more like Jesus. Now, I need to just say this quickly. Does that mean that you and I... <laughs> that we need to wait 13 years from the time that we met Jesus to the time that we can actually start sharing the faith? No, absolutely not. Paul's a unique case. He was so ingrained in his understanding of who God is based on the Hebrew Bible that he needs that much more time to re-interact with the scriptures through the lens of Jesus. There's other moments in scripture where Jesus spends only a handful of moments, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, with 72 disciples and then he says, okay, now you go share it. You go share the kingdom of God. And I can imagine the look on their faces like, I, I don't think we're ready. Like, we haven't even gotten past the first one-on-one -on -one course yet. Like, could, we need a little bit more training before we go. Yet Jesus says, no, go. Some of us, we come to know Jesus, and we are just ready to go and to share that love with others. Some of us, some of us, it's going to take some time for us to fully understand who Jesus is doesn't mean we stop sharing the love of Christ or that we wait to share the love of Christ. But we need to, all of us, need to have this continual, ongoing learning and maturing and being conformed to look like Christ. Let me ask you a question. How are you being conformed to look like Jesus? How are you being matured? Are you being matured? Or are you just stagnant? And then maybe a bonus question to ask is, are you a credible source? Could somebody come to you if they wanted to know about Jesus? If they wanted to interact with Jesus? To know more about him, to follow him? Paul is establishing his credibility and he's pointing people to Jesus, not to himself, not to a list of rules, but to God's grace his mercy, his love, his hope, his joy. Are you a credible source? I want to give you some practical tips 
throughout this week for you to be able to gauge that. So first of all, I want you to get really familiar with Jesus. Get really, really familiar with Jesus. Get intimate with Jesus and your understanding of who he is. In order to do that, we need to know who he is, so it's probably a good thing for us to spend some time in the Gospels learning more about Jesus. I want to give you a task for this week. Just read the book of Mark. It's pretty short. It's the shortest account, the shortest gospel according uh, to, to the life of Jesus, according to Mark. Spend some time reading it. It's a snapshot. It reads like a story. It helps us to understand the kind of person Jesus was and how we too interact in the kingdom of God. Get really familiar with Jesus. Secondly, I want you to get rid of non-credible sources. It's time. There's so many sources competing for your attention. And the, I said before, there's strength in numbers. The news, and I'm not just talking about cable news, I'm not just talking about journalism right now. I'm talking about just all of the messages that we take in on a regular basis. The prevalent messages out there is more misinformation than factual, than helpful, than godly. And, and don't be confused either, because there's a lot of news out there that, that might even be considered Christian news. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to move the kingdom of God forward, just because they have that name attached to it. I have not seen so much more, other than in the last year and a half, the words Christian and conspiracy mixed in the same sentences over and over. We need discernment. So how do you identify a non-credible source? I want to give you some tips. In fact, if you want to get your phone out and take a picture of this slide, this might be helpful, but I'm just going to read through this. How do you know if a source is non-credible? Well, it's a source that requires you to keep coming back to them. They love that you feed off of them. They need you. They need your money. They need your attention. Or it's a source that instills more fear in you than joy. Because fear is powerful. And it's easy. It's easy to instill fear. It's easy to use that fear to manipulate you. And people, for some reasons, we keep going back to it. It's like an addiction to fear, to anxiety. Because then we have to read more stories, and then we read more stories, and then we read more stories. And we just spiral into conspiracy and fear and anxiety. Is it a source that instills more fear than joy and hope and love? Is it a source that produces more burden on you? Well, now you have to do this, and now you have to subscribe to this, and you have to pay for this. Does it create more work for you to do? Is it a source that only benefits themselves rather than actually seeing you grow? And then lastly, is it a source that doesn't seem to advance the kingdom of God forward, on earth, in earth, in you? If it's not work that has to do with the kingdom of God, don't waste your time. Let's move the kingdom of God forward together by looking at our ultimate source, who is Jesus. And then lastly, get in a group. Surround yourself with people who are also on this same journey, who are also looking to grow, who are also looking to learn in hum humility. Get in a group. If you're not in a group, we want to help you. There's information on your Connect card where you can do that. For those of you watching online, there's a Connect card that you can fill out. We will get you in a group. We're going to be starting some summer semester groups 
uh, this summer very soon. So you can get ready for that as well. Last thing I want to say is for those of you who maybe you've never had this interaction with Jesus. And maybe there's all kinds of competing sources, competing messages, trying to get your attention. I don't know how, how that's working for you or if it's working for you. My guess is that there is more burden, more fatigue in your life. Is there more fear or is there more joy? I want to introduce you to a relationship with Jesus. And please hear me, I am not inviting you into a religion. That would be a waste of your time and mine. Just following more rules, trying to live a more moral life, that's religion. I want to invite you into a covenant relationship with Jesus where you receive his grace and mercy and he begins to transform you from the inside out through his spirit, which we're going to talk about more as we get into this letter to the Galatians. So if you want to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite all of you to stand, those of you watching online, to pray this prayer with me as well. And you might pray like this if you are looking to invite Jesus into your life. God, I am sick and tired of religion. Trying to follow a certain path that isn't leading me to life. And I recognize today that I'm only going to find that life and that true source, that true credible source in you. God, thank you for loving me no matter what my story was. Thank you for your grace. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And still, you give yourself, you give your love, you give your life for me. And so I say yes to you today, Jesus. Well, once again, thank you so much for listening. And we always want to encourage those of you who, um, as you've taken some time to listen to the message and, and process through what was said, um, to consider asking for prayer, to, to getting connected. And the best way to do that is by going to our website, uh, specifically going to our now page. It's lifechurchcanton.org slash now. And there's a whole bunch of links in there that you can click on to get connected, to ask for prayer, to share a story and to give. And so I want to encourage you to check that out and let us know how we can help you take your next steps, how to get connected and how to care for you uh, in the best way possible. Also want to encourage you uh, to check out some resources that are available to learn more about scripture, learn more about the Bible. We are big fans of thebibleproject.com. They just have a wonderful creative ability um, to teach the scriptures in a succinct way and in a creative way. So check that out if you get an opportunity. And uh, other than that, we will see you or uh, hopefully interact with you digitally back here in this space very soon. Have a great rest of your day.